Hello and welcome to CCUS, a tracking transition podcast series presented by Energy Voice. In this episode, I'm in conversation with our principal partners, SSE Thermal and Gaffney Klein, as we look back, reminisce about some of the discussions we've had around CCS, and also look ahead to see what's coming. My name is Ed Reed. I'm an editor at Energy Voice, and I'm moderating this tracking transition series. I'm delighted to welcome Hannah Bronwyn, Director for Business Development at SSE Thermal, and Mark Wilkie, Carbon Management Director at Gaffney Klein. Thank you for joining me. The aim of this discussion is, is really to unpack some of the themes that came forward in our first session. And, and, and just to remind our, our listeners, the video that is available online if you search for CCUS tracking transition. Here in the UK, there have been some false starts in the uh, the CCUS industry, but it, it, it's starting to feel like this time may be different. There's a license round process from the North Sea Transition Authority that's underway now. I, I believe there are 13 areas available, which could see the CO2 capture process starting as early as 2027. I thought it was, it was very interesting that the NSTA said that the round had become necessary after unprecedented amounts of interest from companies looking for a way into the market. And I think it's really striking how now, you know, the, the oil and gas industry goes through sort of booms and busts, but I think there is this real, really interesting uptake in CCUS interest. And it's not just in the UK. Uh, beyond the UK, uh, a number of European states are starting to think about how CCUS is going to fit into those net zero plans. Orsted, for instance, I saw recently has set out plans to begin capturing CO2 in, in Denmark in 2025, giving a real sense of, of, of quite how quickly this industry is starting to move. So it's going to be crucial, but the scale and the speed is, is, is daunting. Currently, around 40 million tonnes per year of, of CO2 are actually captured. And, and the IEA's net zero report put the target for 2030 at, I believe, 1.7 billion tonnes. So there's a, there, there is a mountain to climb. And obviously, that's a global problem. But it's one that, that every country is going to have to play their part in. It's, it is early days still, and we don't know entirely how it's going to work out, which has led to some scepticism. Greenpeace, for instance, has called it a scam in a recent position paper. But I think... If there's going to be any chance of reaching net zero by 2050, and obviously therefore avoiding calamitous climate change, we're going to need to make it work. Mark, I'm going to start with you. What's the scale of the challenge with CCUS? Well, as you say, I think it is big, but not impossible. There's clearly a, a massive gap between the uh, the global uh, IEA predictions in terms of achieving net zero and where we are today. But I think also as you as you kind of reflected, there is a massive uh, development and, and growth, both on the global pipeline, but also on a European point. And I think uh, UK, along with a number of other countries, are, are really leading that. But yeah, I think I was just kind of looking back the that the first CCS project started operation in 1996. So that was Sleipner in Norway. It sequesters about a million tons of CO2 per year. And uh, you know, just putting that into context, that's that's a heck of a time to pass to, to get us to that point. And yet, so we're looking at, what, uh, 25 years uh, since that first project. Now, there's an enormous amount of learning gone on from that. And Norwegians have obviously uh, continued to, to progress their program. But if you put into context the, the immediate targets that have to be reached by 2030, so from a UK point, uh, we're looking to reduce our emissions by a fraction under 70% by 2030 in order to remain within the one and a half degree temperature rise. And we're at about 47%. 
And um, you know, many of these projects that are just kicking off the licenses you, you you mentioned. So there are there are six licenses since 2018 in the UK. It looks like there's going to be a, a big interest in this next round. But yeah, putting all that together, we're going to have to go an awful lot more quickly than <laughs> that first project in Norway. And you know, I think. The, the, the challenges are, are not just a, a technical one. I think the technology is, is pretty well proven in terms of the, the capture, what's required from a transportation point, and even the the requirements around uh, storage. But you know, I think that the challenges have largely been around regulation. Clearly, there is one around economics, and and that that continues but is diminishing. And I think also what we are seeing is is questions around how do you make this work commercially? So who takes what liability? And again, that none of those are insurmountable, but the challenge is they all have to be addressed at once in order to get to this point by 2030. Yeah, it's, it's that sort of at once uh, point that's, uh, that, that, that's slightly alarming, isn't it? Hannah, Hannah, well, I mean, looking at how sort of CCUS is going to fit into uh, power generation, obviously, I, it, it feels like this is going to be a sort of a significant part, at least of the UK's uh, challenge. Where are we at and, 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 and where, where are we heading? Are we, are we making enough progress? I actually think we're in a really good position where we're still in the foothills of that good position. But, you know, I fancy our chances. So if I could take your question about the role of, of CCUS and power generation, your starting point here has got to be to understand that our power generation need is going to double by 2050. So we've got to have double the size of, a power, of the power system that we've got now. At the same time, we've got to transition that to being entirely low carbon and deal with the huge increase in intermittency that we have in power generation as we build out our renewables, which you know, SSE is, is doing, and we've got you know, more offshore wind and development and, and construction than any other company in the world right now. So huge fans of, of renewables. But the reality is, we all know there are times when the, the wind doesn't blow and the sun doesn't shine. Um, sorry to sound trite, but it's important that we focus on it. And with this bigger power system, with this you know, hugely intermittent power system, bringing in that flexibility to fill the gaps is absolutely key. And at the moment, we see how much we rely on that with our, our system now, and that will continue to be the case. So in fact, we're going to need more mid-merit power generation by 2050 than we currently have in capacity terms, but we don't want it to be emitting. And and, and when you say uh, when you say mid-merit, what does that mean in that context? Sort of operating at a kind of you know 30 to 60 percent load factor type profile. Sure. So 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 for us, you know, we see that's what we're going to need. CCS and hydrogen generation are really the main way that we're going to be able to deliver that in the UK. And we are blessed in this country by having the natural resources to allow us to do CCS um, and turn that into an advantage. So that's why I say, actually, you know, I think we are in a good place. We know what we need and we've got the skills to do it. I think that the challenge is pace. And you, you were kind of hinting at that in your question, 
I think. And this is where I start to get a bit scared. I was looking at some analysis the other day. I was saying, you know, we've got at the moment, is it 30 gigawatts of CCGT, give or take a bit, on the system. Now, if you were to assume a 25-year asset life, 80% of that will be offline by 2035 or so. We're looking at somewhere between kind of five and six gigs left there. Now, obviously, some of that, you know, it, it will last longer. But just if you take that and you see kind of the scale that we need to replace our generation with, you start getting a sense of how quickly we need to move, pile on top of that nuclear closures because all of our aging nuclear fleets are, are starting to come offline and coal, which obviously need, you know has been scheduled to come off the system for quite some time. And you start to see that we've got a real capacity gap growing. So by 2030, 2035, it's looking quite worrying. And you can see the signs of that, I think, in the last capacity market and in the, the signaling that Bayes is giving around the next capacity market auctions and how they're preparing for that. We're starting to get squeezed. And I guess my push would be, let's not let that happen. Let's preempt that by really doubling down on building out our CCS, uh, power CCS solution and doing more of that sooner. I also think, you know, in addition to the um, the natural strength of of using CCS with natural gas as a as a dispatchable low carbon source, in in terms of the overall drive towards CCUS, having a, a power plant, a, a big centralized power plant, with relatively high levels of, of emissions to capture, really helps a cluster or a hub to become established because the, the project in its own right becomes almost an anchor project. So one of the challenges you, know, you face is by bringing a hub and a, and a range of emitters, you all of a sudden have got a you know, multitude of players that you're trying to bring along at the same time. Now, obviously with a, with a big power project, this is something again we found with one of our projects in the US, if you can have sufficient emissions on that first project, you can really simplify the whole contractual, the whole commercial, even the execution element. And I think you know that that's that's also not to be underestimated. So I think clearly you know, power has a big emissions footprint. We need dispatchable power, as Hannah says, to make up between the you know base load generation and the, the peak demands, which are gonna you know, continue through the day, through the year. But I think also from a practical point, your power has a role to play in establishing these kind of anchor projects. Mm, that's really good to hear you saying that, Mark. And that's certainly kind of our hypothesis. And actually, we're, we're doing some work to try to quantify the beneficial economic impact of that. I mean, it'd be, it'd be really interesting to hear a bit more about what you found in the States with that, because it, it totally makes sense. And I, I think, again, that's something that, you know, Ed, at the beginning, you kind of hinted at the bumpy road CCS has had in the past in the UK. I think one of the things that makes it different now is that with net zero, that CCS transport and storage infrastructure is, as the CCC has said, the Committee on Climate Change, it's a necessity, it's not an option. And you know, before when we were in 80% land, you could argue that you could maybe do without it because did you know the the hardest to abate industrial sectors did they need to decarbonize and etc cetera, etc cetera. that's no longer true we absolutely need to have that transport and storage infrastructure and once you've got that in place 
bunging a CCGT, which we know and love and have built many times before, and they go up quickly and they go up easily and sticking a capture plant onto that and using that to not only provide dispatchable power, but also underpin the economics of that transport and storage system, which is fundamental to decarbonization of industry, is a no-brainer. Absolutely, absolutely. And and so, Hannah, I mean, just looking at some of these, obviously, you know, there are a number of sort of uh, projects under thought at the moment. But how quickly are, are you moving forwards uh, at SSE in terms of sort of delivering these plans? Obviously, you know, we, we're looking at these, you know, fairly near-term targets, right? 2030, sort of 2050, doesn't feel too far away. So so, so what, what's moving quickly on your radar? We're making a lot of progress with our two lead projects. So they are Peterhead Carbon Capture Project and a Carbon pre- Capture Hub Project at Kidby in the Humber region, which is one of the track one clusters um, through the, the cluster sequencing competition with Bayes. Both of these are 910 megawatt projects um, looking to capture, you know, one and a half megatons of CO2 annually. So combined, that would be about 10% of the government's target by 2030. And, you know, we've got, we've got planning permission in, we've got OEMs appointed, we've got the kind of detailed feedwork getting going. So really ready to progress on this. And the next thing that we need is to be able to get negotiating the DPA with government. I suppose in your experience, how willing is government to sort of, you know, drive progress? I mean, obviously, as we've seen in the past, you know, these these things have kind of come and gone, right? I mean, I think, you know, sort of 10 years ago and then sort of five years ago, we saw we saw things kind of come up and and, and then sort of as, as, as quickly as they kind of came, kind of go again. It, they're, they're, as I said in the beginning, I feel that this time it, it looks a little bit different. But, but in terms of your sort of discussions with officials who are making it happen, How's that going? You know, I think they're keen to get something going here. They understand that it's a necessity, as I said, and there is real appetite to to progress. And actually, it's incredibly heartening that we now have a full form DPA contract, kind of the the, the CCS equivalent of the CFD for those who are not in the weeds uh, constantly on this one out there for and we've you know the consultation on that has just closed and it's you know it's shaping up as a good document it's still got some some work to do but it's just really exciting to be at this stage government has said that they will do enter into one contract at least um, for power ccs in the mid 2020s i think you know my push would be it needs to be more come back to the conversation earlier around the capacity crunch and do we really want to be baking in emissions by putting unabated plant in to meet that capacity crunch and replace all of that power that comes offline? Of course, I mean, surely, surely not is the answer to do that. Surely we want to take the opportunity to build new, groundbreaking, innovative, abated plant and become a world expert in that, a world leader with our own supply chain, growth opportunities, and, you know, maybe export opportunities for a CCS in the future. So, you know, I would say there is no downside in getting on with this and increasing the scale of the ambition. And that's the bit, you know, I have no doubt at all that the Bay's officials and, and ministers get that. I just hope that Treasury understand that and, and that number 10 are behind it. And the one thing I would say to them and particularly to the Treasury guys is this is cheaper than any of your other options. 
Sure, sure. Uh, and Mark, what, what what are your thoughts about? I mean, the government this time around. I, I mean, as, as as Hannah suggested, you know, there there are there are obviously sort of different ministries, different factors at play. Obviously, there's a lot of politics going on. Government got a lot of decisions to make. Do you, do you think that this time is different? Is 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 government going to take the the steps needed to 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 deliver the CCS needed by by this you know pretty 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 stiff timetable? Yeah, I mean, I, I think they've clearly stepped up to the mark in terms of providing support and, and finance and I think in terms of trying to move on with implementing some of the fundamental regulation and putting together some of the key agreements. I think one of the challenges UK along with Europe has with its its current approach is it's it it almost has to pre-pick winners. Just because of capacity it clearly can't award budget or or, or finance to you know to every viable project. But in reality in order to get the scale in order to get the the, the speed and, and to the target we need, you know, I think they're really facing a or going to be facing a dilemma quite quickly in terms of having you know, enough players to bring competition and also to bring scale. And I think that's kind of a, a natural constraint with with having a, a subsidy. Having said that, you know, the strength of of going down this route is that you can establish this backbone, which is clearly fundamental, as, as Hannah mentioned, not just for the immediate projects, but kind of for the future. This is kind of the internet 1.0 where we're looking at from a carbon point. And, and to have a solid base to work from, you know, both in terms of where you put it and ultimately where you store it, uh, it is going to be fundamental. But you know, I do have some concerns in terms of how they can, can rebalance that and they, you know, I compare it with the the approach in the states, which they've actually got a, a far bigger pipeline of projects, but they're probably not so so far ahead in terms of number of projects going through financial close. However, you know that that pipeline is moving pretty quickly, and you know there they're using a tax credit scheme, so it is a it is another form of subsidy. But what it has enabled is actually a, a whole range of players. Well beyond the you know the oil and gas sector, uh, well beyond the you know the major emitters. So you have you know a whole, whole range of lenders, investors, uh, asset owners, and yeah, I I would agree with Hannah. I I think you know there is there is more than enough emissions to increase the target. I think the government has done well in terms of setting out at least a, a first phase, but I I do think they need to start to consider how they bring that scale that we need and adapt the current uh, support framework. And the good news is, you know, we've done it before, right? We see how you do this successfully with offshore winds. You you start and, and, you know, frankly, there are examples the world over in and out of the energy sector of how industries are successfully incubated by saying, don't, don't introduce too much competitive tension right from the beginning, right from the, you know, like you don't like doing that with your kids when they're little, you mess them up. You know, just, you, you want to nurture them. You want to bring them forward. You want to get, you know, give them opportunity. You want to create that sense of dynamism that operates across the sector, that brings in the investor appetite, that brings in the financiers, that brings in the OEMs, that helps everyone invest in the supply chain and the apprentices. And, you know, this is not just one project, maybe another project, one doddery step at a time. This is a industry that is going to boom. And then once you start getting that vitality in the industry, that's when you start saying, right guys, come on then, the gloves are off. You gotta really drive this price down through competition. And we saw that work 
with offshore wind. And I absolutely believe it can work with CCS as well. Yeah, I, I think with offshore wind, it's, you know, there's clearly a model and there's a model you know, against the wider renewables market. But again, you know, I think the speed at which that that happened, it was far longer than the, the time frame we're looking at. And although I, I think it'd be very naive to, to stand back and say, well, let just let let's let competition take up the challenge and let the investors decide, you know, how we're going to make this work. But what I'm saying is if if these projects are constrained by the amount of funding that's available from the government. So we saw this with the ACOM project, a perfectly good project, uh, slightly different range of uh, you know, emitters, obviously completely different location, but uh, your material you know, could definitely make a big, big contribution. And because of constraint on, on capital, uh, it's been given this kind of subs bench uh, position to the to the high net and the east coast cluster and yeah so what i'm saying is you know I'd, i i would agree there needs to be a level of support we've got to be very careful of that level of support then doesn't become a bottleneck mm. um, because actually we we need to scale far quicker and, and to be fair you know i think it's really easy to sit here and go well government should just do more it should give us more you know that, that's always the way right and and actually you know i personally went and spent a couple of years in government because I didn't want to be always spending my time sitting outside going, go on guys, do more. So I, I totally understand the challenges there and, and also that it's a two-way street. And that's really what I wanted to focus in on here is, you know, yes, I think you know, absolutely government needs to introduce a competitive allocation round and show us line of sight to not just one or two projects, but a whole pipeline of projects, but also industry needs to collaborate to get the cost down, to nurture the supply chain, to really bring some of that economic benefit into the UK through investment in the supply chain and in jobs in the UK. And, and I think that's something you know we can and should and will get together and grow and do more of together. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, you know, I, I would look at the vision, look, look at where we want to get to beyond the targets, you know, beyond the millions of tons of CO2 and the dates. And I think you know, ultimately what the emitters want, what the industry wants is for this to become a utility in the same way as you know, renewables has, but probably quicker. So you know, essentially what, what we're really looking for is for the, the sector to get to a point where effectively this is a, a transportation and, and, and storage dilemma. You know who the players are, you know where that CO2 is going to, it's completely de-risked. It's the lowest cost it possibly can be. It's widely available, commonplace, reliable, safe. You know, all the things a utility should be. And yeah, I mean, you can't do that all in one step. But to me, that that's where we we should be getting to. So that um, you know, it's it's very straightforward and simple for emitters to connect into these systems. It's very easy for investors to to put their money into it. And clearly it delivers the, the targets that society and ultimately, you know, government want to, to see happen. I, th I think that's a, that's a really interesting point, Mark, about, about that point when it becomes a sort of a, a competitive industry in its own right. And I think it's we've seen some really interesting models, haven't we, of kind of companies kind of cropping up. I mean, Sterega kind of springs to mind of a, a essentially sort of focused on the sort of delivering CCS as, as a sort of a, a sort of a sole focus, uh, sort of a, an, an idea. But it, it, it does seem like we're it's, it's, a, it's a sort of a struggle to get to that point where it's kind of a commercial business, right? I mean, I think, I think you know, sort of obviously finance is obviously always going to be a challenge. 
I mean, you know, Hannah has very rightly pointed out that, you know, people have a tendency just to say government, you know, needs to do more, needs to provide guidance, needs to do whatever. But I mean, thinking about sort of the other the other sort of sides of it, I think looking at the sort of the f- financial side of it, how close do you think, you know, there is a for, for the financial appetite to sort of step in and start providing, I don't know, debt, equity, whatever, in order to kind of get these projects going? I mean, personally, I, I think... I think it's the reverse problem. We've got a lack of projects and, and and plenty of capital. Having said that, because of there is so few projects, there there is obviously some hesitation in terms of uh, you know investing in in those projects. But you know we're we're seeing a lot of appetite actually from outside of the UK uh, looking to to invest in in projects. So I think there's certainly appetite. I think what we're struggling with is, you know, the, the the projects to invest in. And I suppose there's that kind of that question of sort of international competition, isn't it? I mean, I, I mean, I, I kind of come back to Sterega, but I think it's very interesting that you know they've got sort of project pipeline in the UK, obviously with that sort of uh, Scottish cluster, the Acorn plan, but they're also doing things in the US. And it feels, in a way, like as you say, maybe the US is moving faster. And I think, you know, obviously there is a sort of a, a slight sort of degree of sort of international competition, isn't there? And I mean, how do you think that the UK stands up? in that terms of sort of attracting that investment, you know, from sort of project operators right through to sort of delivery, uh, how does it stack up against the sort of the international competition? I think from what we've seen, a lot of it is has been uh, financed, you know, of uh, corporate financing or of balance sheet. So we don't see the, the same level of activity. I think, you know, Sturiger is, is a really interesting uh, group uh, as a pure play transportation storage company as you say they're they're also active uh, within the u.s but yeah I, I think you know what stands out at least to me in, in the u.s is there's a lot more kind of innovation in terms of how the various structures are put together and the accessing various incentives and making you know, various tax credits and so on work but i think again it's it's kind of a a feature a characteristic of the two very different ways of of incentivizing it, and perhaps there's a, a, a you know a cultural difference. In the U.S., they they tend to be um, you know a little more aggressive in terms of their their expectations, and um, therefore a little more willing to take risk. Certainly, early stage development risk and take those costs, with the potential to um, you know take first leader advantage. Whereas I think you know within the UK, obviously the system is set up in a way to to have a lot of certainty around what is delivered, when it's delivered, and who's going to deliver it. So yeah, it's a, it's a very different dynamic. I do think though that the UK has got you know a really stellar track record in terms of putting together investable models for energy infrastructure. You know, we see that with CFD, we see that with our networks, businesses, and actually, you know, kind of we're building on that success here with the transport and storage business model, with the dispatchable power agreement, and now moving into into industry. So there's a good reputation, and so it's kind of gold standard for investable regulatory and policy frameworks, and certainly. We're confident to to put our development money in there and get ahead of the curve in the way that Mark describes. And actually, you know, investors that we speak to are, are up for that. 
And in terms of that sort of you know international kind of competition idea, Hannah, you mentioned earlier that that, that the UK has an opportunity to sort of seize this advantage, and I suppose kind of get the uh, the CCUS knowledge, the expertise, and and then and then sort of export it to the world. Like, I mean, do do you have any any kind of feelings about how about about, about where that that might 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 happen? Is is it a sort of a European focus? Is it uh, as, as as Mark has been saying, you know, the uh, the US with the sort of the forty five Q? Where where, where do you think uh where do you think that might lead yeah no i think both both of those absolutely i mean it's it's early days yet isn't it and honestly i don't know how far ccs could go but i think you know both in terms of exporting the the capability but also providing storage for for other countries who don't have their own storage the uk is in a is in a really poor position we're actually uh, you know, working with a, a British IPP at the moment, um, so they they have generating assets in in the UK, and uh, yeah, they're they're looking to develop a, a greenfield power plant out in the US, and it's you know it's largely a, a British team that are doing that, but again, you know their their model is really they they stop at the the fence of the the power plant and they're looking to leverage. You know those ready-made transportation models, you know, out in the U.S. But uh, yeah, I mean to you know to pick up on that, you know, there is there's clearly know-how and um, you know, opportunities for, for for British companies even beyond the you know the CCS side to exploit uh, markets like the US. And I suppose there's that, there is that interesting idea, isn't it? Because I mean, I suppose we sort of started off, you know, with, with Mark, you, you know, with your point about about that kind of appeal of of, of having sort of CCS and, and, a, and a sort of a, a large uh, emitter in a, in, a, in a sort of a cluster project. And that there's that kind of clear sort of uh, synergy, isn't there, that, that kind of helps sort of drive that hub forwards. But I think obviously, as we sort of move forwards and, and you know, sort of tick various hubs off the list, not all areas are going to have capacity to to inject co2 locally are they i mean i think there's the, the the south wales cluster i believe is sort of working on a sort of a merchant sort of a shipping idea is that going to be a challenge to move from this sort of local quite sort of integrated model that that obviously sort of you know hannah you've you've got your sort of eye on to a to a, to a more sort of a merchant model where you may be either moving co2 locally within a country or even or even internationally i mean i think you know obviously there's the sort of the, the norwegian uh, northern lights i believe which is sort of suggested it might be open to that sort of possibility is is that going to prove harder to deliver is that is that going to bring up new sort of governmental challenges about about who sort of takes ownership for that uh, for that progress yeah i think um the you know, project longship you, you mentioned there in, in norway which Northern Lights then acts as the the transportation storage uh, company. You know, they're they're looking to start injecting, I believe, by 2024. So they have a target of one and a half million tons initially, and um, you know, they they were a group ultimately that set a precedence for the London Protocol, looking at transboundary uh, shipment and and storage of CO2, and actually setting a, a precedence in, in in utilizing that protocol. I think with all of these projects, there is an opportunity beyond the the, the CO2 abatement to use them usefully as a as a vehicle. And I think that project in particular is, you know, is a really good example of that. So they're you know, they're addressing kind of a multitude of of challenges, both from a from a technical, from a regulatory point. But I, I would fully expect that um uh, transboundary shipment is is going to become a necessary part. Simply because of the you know, the locations of storage 
the availability of capacity. Um, so that that uh, Northern Lights longship project, it's it was designed to offer capacity to other European emitters. So it's not exclusively a, a Norwegian project. So by design, it was aimed at taking CO2 shipment from, from overseas, but it's I believe it's already booked out. So I think there is clearly there's clearly pent up demand um, for this type of project. And yeah, I would expect you know, North Sea would be a kind of a good uh, future area for that type of, of model. I mean, I guess if you think about it, you know, we're well used to taking gas out of those sites and sending it all over the world. It makes sense that you would then bring gas back from all over the world into those sites. And that's it's just the same process in reverse with a few tweaks, um, important ones, obviously. But you know, the, the principle is there. And I guess the other thing is, it's not just the UK's got to get to net zero, the whole world's got to get to net zero. Industry everywhere has got to be decarbonized. And, you know, unless someone comes up with some novel ideas that we haven't been able to even envisage here yet, carbon capture is going to be a really important part of that in many countries, many of which won't have their own geological storage. So it's sort of got to end up in transboundary shipment, hasn't it? Yeah, I think it it, it also adds to this uh, optionality around you know the, the the commercial scale. So if you can build a almost a world uh, CCS sector where it, you know to a degree it doesn't matter where you emit, but you know you have a means to uh, take it as a utility and ship it somewhere with some you know certainty that it's going to be safe. And it's going to be stored you know, permanently. You know, that that's got to be ideal. Absolutely, absolutely. And 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 Mark, I mean, uh, just you know, any, any any sort of final thoughts about 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 what comes next for CCUS? I mean, you know, anything uh, anything that you see coming up in the in the next uh, year or so that would that would be cause for uh, relief or, uh, or, or 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 dejection? I think there's an awful lot of projects at, at you know the fee- pre feasibility stage, and I think it's going to be crucial to see those move towards financial close. Yeah, if we can get these first projects on the board uh, that are kind of slated for that 2024-2025 period, and that would really form a, a great basis and hopefully set a precedence and address some of these challenges that then others can just really cookie cutter, copy and paste the um, you know the, the same approaches. But yeah, I think I think for me the the, yeah, the most important thing is to get these backbone hubs and clusters in place and yeah it, it looks like we're making good progress on it but yeah we can't get too complacent and you Hannah, any any thoughts about the next uh, year or two any 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 points that you're watching i guess twofold the first is you know i really can't wait for us to be getting into the proper nitty-gritty on these projects and so you know that's kind of whether it's intense debate on whether we've actually successfully eliminated the cross-chain risk from the dispatchable power agreement or, you know, detailed technical work on whether you can maintain the high capture rates through incredibly flexible ramping up and ramping down of CCGTs. You know, these are really important areas where, you know, there's work to be done and it's it's good work is starting, but it's just, it'd be, you know, really fun to get properly stuck into the weeds on this. So I hope that, you know, within a year's time, we'll have all bored each other to death with the ins and outs of this stuff. Um, <laughs> so so that's kind of the fir- my first ambition, <laughs> get, get everyone bored to death with the details. 
And and then the second thing is, I think it's starting to expand out, as you said earlier, Ed, beyond the sort of early, you know, everything's happening in, in one area, pipeline, industrial cluster concept and start introducing shipping, for example, because we know whether it's in West Wales or whether it's on the Isle of Grain where we've got a plant, you know, we're going to need to decarbonize these areas that aren't next to current pipelines and CO2 stores. Um, and so starting to expand our horizons and sort of build out the non-pipeline pipeline, if you know what I mean, um, is I think a really important next stage. Absolutely. Well, fantastic. Well, listen, thank you both so much for joining me today. I've, I've really enjoyed it. Uh, thank you, Hannah. Thank you, Mark from uh, SSE Thermal and Gaffney Klein. And if you've enjoyed this, but you haven't seen the video of the CCUS event yet, please do chase it down. Uh, session two is going to be coming later in the year with a focus on Asia. We also have some other tracking transition series, including on hydrogen and offshore wind. If you like this, you're probably going to like those. So please do chase them down. Uh, and to our listeners, please Please do let us know your thoughts on this topic through our social media channels or by emailing outloud at energyvoice.com. And if you'd like to be part of the conversation and share your story with the energy industry, you can email outloud at energyvoice.com too. You may already know that every week the Energy Voice team get together to highlight important stories from the world of energy in our regular podcast episodes. So if you're not already, please do subscribe free to the award-winning Energy Voice out loud in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts to get this essential briefing every Friday. I've been Ed Reed. Thank you for listening. Out Loud is the podcast from Energy Voice leading the global energy conversation. Bookmark and subscribe to energyvoice.com, sign up to our newsletter and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter for expert analysis and insight right across the energy sector. Subscribe to Outloud on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And please do encourage colleagues and friends to listen to Outloud too. If you've enjoyed it, leaving a rating or review, especially on Apple Podcasts, helps others discover it too. Thank you.